you would please stand with me. Our text this morning is from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 10. Hear now the very word of God that is holy, inerrant, and sufficient. Ecclesiastes, chapter 10. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses, and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of the wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of the fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning." Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thought, do not curse the king, Nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, your word from your servant Solomon. We ask, O Lord, that you would bless us this morning, that we might see your will, that we might know what you have prepared for us in Christ Jesus. For it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. As we continue on our journey with Solomon through a view of the world, we come now to this interesting chapter here where Solomon seems to be thinking sort of not in a progressive fashion. He's been talking about certain things and now he sort of stops and gives us a few proverbs about wisdom and foolishness telling us what it is to be a fool and what that means. Now, 
the question that I think that we first need to think about is, what does it mean to be a fool? What does a fool look like? Some of you may now have images in your minds of men jumping around with different colored outfits with a hat with bells on them. Others of you may have the image of the great 20, late 20th century philosopher, Mr. T, when he said, don't be a fool, stay in school. And we have that image in our minds. Still, others of you may have another image in your minds. You may think about all of the times when you've been afraid of being foolish. You know, when you wake up with the sweats, sure that your alarm hasn't gone off and you've missed a test or missed an interview. You're afraid of being foolish. Or we all have those dreams in which we appear in front of various dignitaries in slovenly or perhaps not so much clothes. We're afraid of being foolish. Solomon says, on the one hand, that's a good fear. But he says, on the other hand, to us, all those sorts of things, they're really not of any consequence. For we should fear being a fool, a real fool, what the Bible calls a fool. And Solomon is going to explain to us what that danger is and point us away from folly and toward wisdom, which in Bible terms means pointing us away from godlessness and toward God. So let us, let us then look this morning at chapter 10 and see Solomon's exhortation to us first by seeing what is folly. Of course, folly is the nature of a fool. What is folly? And then we see that a fool really hurts himself. Because of his folly, a fool hurts himself. But he doesn't just hurt himself. We will finally see that a fool also hurts others. And so we should be forewarned. Excuse me. Because to be forewarned is to be forearmed. So let us then now look at Ecclesiastes chapter 10. The first thing that Solomon does for us is he describes what it means to have folly. What is folly? And the first thing that he describes to us is it can even be a very small thing. He gives us an illustration. You've heard me say it before. This is the preacher. And so he gives us a picture that we can get in our minds. He says, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment Give off a stench. Now, I want you to get the image. Let's modernize it just a little bit. Let's assume that you have just gone to one of the finest stores in the town. And you have splurged for your wife, or I guess for your husband, and got the finest perfume or cologne. It might be several hundred dollars an ounce. The smell is sweet. It's that kind of smell that... You know when your spouse is wearing your favorite scent on them, you just take it in. And you take it home and you find out that somehow some gnats or some flies have gotten in it and you open it up and it gives off a, wow, a stench. And you didn't even know it was ruined because you couldn't see the small gnats or bugs or flies in it. You see, it only takes a little bit of foolishness to ruin a beautiful fragrance. This is what Solomon said at the end of chapter 9, you recall. He put it in a different context, more of a manly context. If, if he says, 
ladies, a little bit of dead flies stink up your perfume. He says, men, let me tell you, one man can really mess up a war. One sinner can mess up a lot of good. One stray moment can be a problem. That's a warning to you and to me. A wise friend of mine, who's an elder in Jackson, Mississippi, said this to me. He said, you are never so tempted by sin as when you don't think anyone you know is watching. And yet it's at that time that one stray moment when you think, oh, it doesn't matter, oh, don't worry about it. It's at that moment that can undo you and your profession in front of many. He told me a story about a man that he knew was laid over in an airport. And he was sitting in a restaurant eating and the young 20 or 21-year-old something waitress came and was being pleasant and was kind of flirting with him a little bit. And he thought, well, you know, I wonder what it would be like to flirt back. And just as these thoughts were going through his mind, he got a big clap on the back. How you doing? I'm laid over too. He was brought back to reality. You see, a little bit of foolishness can ruin a lot of wisdom. We see this in the Bible too. There are instances of great blessing that have been forfeited by a single reckless moment. You know of all the names, of all the people who went into the promised land of Canaan, do you know who were not included? Moses and Aaron. Why? Because Moses didn't labor for 80 years with a stiff-necked people? No. Because Moses didn't get the Ten Commandments? No. Because Aaron didn't found the priesthood by the Word of God? No. It's because in one moment, they took to themselves the power and the authority of God and acted as God and struck the rock twice. One moment of foolishness. What Solomon is saying here from the other perspective is that there is no security to be found in wisdom. You may think you've got it all figured out. You've got life planned. Everything works. But you know what? There's always going to come one moment that upsets the apple cart. You can't find security in wisdom. For it is upset by a tiny bit of foolishness. Well, what else is folly? It's something that comes from the heart, Solomon says. Look at verse 2. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's to the left. He's saying it's the heart that directs us. Now, lest all our left-handers get in a huff and offended, this is something that would have made a lot of sense in Bible days. People use their right hands. People use their right hands for eating. They use their left hands for, shall we say, after eating. For using lavatory. And so, something has gone in our minds as to right and left. And we see that portrayed out in other areas of the scriptures. For example, where does our Lord Jesus Christ sit? But at the right hand of the Father. For the right hand of the monarch was the place of distinction. We even see it in Latin. The word for right in Latin is dexter, like dexterous. You know what the word for left is in Latin? Sinister. Yes. 
sinister. You see, what Solomon is saying here is, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the heart is where folly or wisdom comes. Now, this is a great promise. Because he doesn't just say, out of the heart of the fool, he inclines to the left. He says that the right heart will lead to wisdom. The wise man's heart inclines him to the right. It's not his wisdom that takes him on the right path. It's his heart. A heart fashioned and redeemed by God. This is the difference between the fool and the wise man. And this cannot be hidden. Notice, he says, even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense and says to everyone, he's a fool. You've probably heard the old saying, Better to be a fool and keep your mouth shut than open it and let everyone else know you're a fool or to confirm that you're a fool. Well, Solomon says you don't even have to open your mouth. The way you walk gives it away. And this shouldn't surprise us. He's been describing the fool throughout this book. He says, for example, the fool is noisy. He likes shallow laughter and rowdy songs. Chapter 7, verses 5 and 6. He's lazy. Chapter 4 and verse 5. He gets angry easily. Chapter 5 and verse 3. He doesn't receive good advice. Chapter 7 and verse 9. Later on we'll see he talks too much. You see, the fool's heart affects his very being. It just comes out. And you see, there's a dual edge here. It's not just that everyone notices that he's a fool. He says to everyone that he's a fool. There's a dual edge here to this sentence. He says to everyone that he's a fool could be he shows himself to be a fool or he walks around and says to everybody else, you're all fools. He doesn't even know what foolishness is. It's so public. There is an exhortation here for us, beloved. For if the fool tells everyone that he is foolish by his very manner of being, should it not be true of the Christian that others see that we claim Jesus Christ and so are wise by the way we walk down the street, by the clothes we wear, by the speech of our mouth, by our habits, by our patience, by displaying that fruit of the Spirit that we looked at, in the book of Galatians. You see, the fruit of the wise should be just as public as the fruit of the fool. You see, folly also comes where you don't expect it. See in verse 4, if the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offense to rest. You see, where you don't expect folly to show up, it shows up. Someone wrongs you and you get off in a huff. I'll show him. It just shows you to be foolish and not to have patience. Whereas calmness, reason, has a greater effect. You see, the fact that Solomon can say, I've seen slaves on horses. I've seen princes walking like slaves. I've seen folly in men who've got it all and wisdom in men who've got nothing says that the world doesn't work on its own terms. Don't try to live your life perfect to get ahead because it doesn't work that way. 
The world doesn't work on its own terms. Don't go after the superficial. Because not only is it meaningless, as Solomon has said over and over again, he now says, you know, there really isn't even any benefit from it. For you don't know what will be. This is folly. But the sad thing is that folly doesn't appear in the abstract, in a textbook. It appears in people. And we see here in verse 8, that a fool begins here by hurting himself. He who digs a pit will fall into it. A fool hurts himself by foolish actions. And Solomon, in his characteristic, thorough manner, hits them all. Do you notice? He digs a pit. He'll fall into it. Do you want to live a life being vindictive? Being try, trying to fix every little wrong that's been done to you? He who digs a pit, the implication is for someone else to fall in, falls in it. There's a wonderful story that many of us know that describes this principle. It's the principle and the story of Haman. You remember Haman in the book of Esther? He's so proud and he's ready and he builds a gallows to hang Mordecai. And we get the old saying, most people don't even know what a petard is, but we know about being hoist up on our own petard. What it means is hung on our own gallows. Let me make it very simple. Kids, oftentimes when you try and do something to get back at your sister or your brother or your friend, all you are doing is making trouble and disaster for yourself. Because you're sowing seeds of darkness. That's not the way of the godly. You see, the proper way is to do what our Lord Jesus Christ did. To commit yourself to God who judges righteously. Peter talks about that in his first epistle. He says that when Christ was threatened and maligned and made fun of and mocked, he didn't respond. But he committed himself to God because he knew that God judges righteously. It's not just a vindictive action, it's also a thoughtless action. Look at verse 10. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. We put it this way. There's the smart way and the hard way. Right? Dads, how many times have you told your sons how to do something and they're not doing it right and they're telling you it's too hard and it can't be done and you say, well, you know, you didn't do this. There's the old joke about the lumberjack that comes into the shop and the salesman says to him, I've got this great saw for you. I've got this great chainsaw. You'll, it'll be so much better than your axe. Here, take it, go and use it and tell me how you like it. And he goes out and he says, you know, this is not really that good. I only cut down two trees today. Huh? Changes the blade, oils it up, hands it back to him. He says, well, next day it's a little bit better. Three. And he says, that's funny. It should work right. He pulls the ripcord and the, man, and the lumberjack says, what's that noise? You see, a little bit of wisdom goes a long way. A long, long way. And you see, we don't have jokes about lumberjacks, but we run our lives that way. 
We don't treat our marriages the smart way, the biblical way. We don't raise our children the smart way, the biblical way. We don't trust our relationships the smart way, the biblical way. And the most dangerous thing of all is we don't trust the smart way to get to God. That is the world's problem in a nutshell. That is the foolishness of the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. You know who wrote that? Solomon's father, King David, Psalm 53. You think Solomon learned that lesson? I think so. But you see, another foolish action is incompetence. Look at verse 15. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. The fool doesn't know what to do. He's, in Bible terms, ever learning, but never coming to the truth. The child of God should not be marked that way. The fool is the sort of person who we might say gets lost on an escalator. He's such a fool, he can't even find the city, Solomon says. It's complete foolishness and incompetence. But it's also slackness. Look at verse 11. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. In other words, it doesn't do you any good to be a snake charmer if you don't do anything until after the snake bites someone. You've got to seize the opportunity. Now, this is not just snake charming and material things. This is spiritual things as well. We need to seize opportunities for ministry. Seize opportunities for evangelism. Seize opportunities for prayer. Seize opportunities to read the Word of God. We might put it this way. There's no good in a Bible if after you make a decision, you read about why your decision was wrong. Read the Scriptures first. Fill your heart up first with wisdom. And then your life will be good. The fool also harms himself by foolish words. Look at verse 12. A wise man's mouth wins him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. His words do him no good. They consume him. They consume his reputation. Verse 3. Everybody sees he's a fool. They consume his life. James chapter 3. You remember, the tongue is a flame that sets a world afire. A fool's mouth just goes on and on and on and destroys his life. It destroys his ability to do good for others. Ephesians 4 and verse 29. Paul tells us that we are to have words that are seasoned with grace that we might minister to others. No unwholesome word should come out of our mouths. And even more than that, the words of a fool eventually destroy his own soul. In Matthew 12, Christ describes this in an interchange with the Pharisees. He says, you're acting and speaking as fools, and you are headed on the path to destruction. The words that a fool speaks show that he knows nothing. And now this is true of all of us in our foolish moments, but it is true on the most important level of the fool. He doesn't know what's what. I'm not speaking of individual foolish moments. I had a, a conversation with Sam Hutton, a friend of mine, in which I'd asked him how his daughter Catherine was doing. And they had been trying to figure out what was wrong with her. She wasn't well. They didn't know if it was a liver. They didn't know what it was. 
And so in our conversation, Sam said to me, well, we, finally, we were finally able to get a diagnosis from the doctors. They were finally able to figure it out. To which I responded, praise God. And he said, well, it's incurable cancer. I thought, take foot out of mouth now. That's a foolish thing to say. I said, praise God to his daughter having cancer. But you see, I didn't know the end. I didn't know what I was saying. I spoke too quickly. And we can all do that. We say things to our wives. We say things to our children. We say things to our husbands that we don't want, that we regret. But you see, the fool lives by this pattern. His words destroy himself. They end up in wicked, evil madness. The fool also hurts other people. Look at verse 16. He hurts other people by ignoring people. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Now, this does not mean that there's a three-year-old on the throne. What it means is when your king is immature. When your king doesn't think of anyone else. When he and his buddies, the first thing they do when they get up in the morning is get up, And have a party. They're not concerned about whether the roads are fixed or whether the kingdom is safe or what that they just want a party, party, party. They're immature. They don't know what they're doing. You see, the Bible describes this in a curse from Isaiah 3. He says, You who do not follow me in my law, you who do not believe me, may your kings and rulers be infants. They also overindulge. They don't care about people. They feast at the improper time. They say, let's get up and have a drink. Let's get up and fill our bellies. And the question then comes to us, is this how we enjoy things? Is that our priority? Or is our priority more like the godly that Solomon describes? The mature, the self-controlled. Now notice that He is blessed who has a prince who doesn't, who who never feasts or never drinks or never does this, but he does it at the proper time. You see, self-control is the answer to foolishness, not radical change in the other direction. But you see, the fool harms others because he just doesn't really care about them. The fool also harms others by ignoring life. Look at verse 18. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. He's sluggish. He's a sluggard. I want you to notice something here. There's a spiritual principle at work. If you don't fix your roof, eventually you will get leaks. And if you fix the leak by putting a bucket in the living room, guess what? You're going to get more leaks. And if your solution to that is to ignore it and maybe stick a few more buckets, guess what? The whole roof's going to cave in. That doesn't happen in five minutes, does it? It happens over years and years and years. You see, that's what the sluggishness of the fool is like. It's destructive in a slow, destroying, eating, rotting away. It's not a flash judgment from God. You see, if the Lord were to judge our nation, 
My guess is, from this biblical principle, that he wouldn't do it through Hurricane Katrina. He would do it through slowly destroying the fabric of our civilization. Giving us what we yearn for, what we deserve. We long for freedom and marriage. And you know what? Marriages get destroyed. The very institution of marriage is destroyed. We long not to have to do the hard work of parenting. And guess what? Children grow up that are wild. We long not to really work. And guess what? We're upset because everywhere we go, people are lazy and we can't get good work for our money. You see, this is the principle here. The fool destroys others. This is how societies die. And, beloved, this is how the church can die as well. Churches don't die in a flash. They die the same way that they grow, slowly and steadily. The challenge to us is to show wisdom and not to be complacent and not to be comfortable, but to seek the Lord's will and to seek opportunities for ministry, to pay attention to other people, to pay attention to the life around us, not to ignore it. We must always be active in exercising our faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is not something you do at a camp meeting and forget about. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it affects every pore of your being. Your faith is active. Don't be like the fool who ignores the consequences of life. Even in your thought, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. You ever heard the saying, a little birdie told me? Right? You ever use this one on your children? Don't lie to me. Because maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, maybe a month from now, I'm going to find out. Someone is going to have seen you do something you weren't supposed to. Someone's going to make mention to me, maybe not even knowing what it's about. That they saw you with such and such. You see, that's the principle here. We can't escape the foolishness of our decisions. For maybe a little bird or a winged creature will tell a person. The Lord our God doesn't need a little birdie to tell him what we're doing, does he? He knows our very thoughts and the intents of our hearts. You see, we need to, Solomon says, face life as it is. as a life that requires us to be active in our pursuit of godliness, to be fervent in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to show wisdom in all facets of our being. You see, our call is to be truly wise. The Bible describes what it is to be wise. If to be a fool is to say there is no God, then to be wise is, as that same psalmist wrote in Psalm 2, to kiss the Son. That is wisdom. Or as Paul put it in Romans 16, to be wise is to know what is good and to do it. Solomon calls you and me, beloved, to be wise, to forsake foolishness. And the only way to do that is to see the world as it really is. A world governed by the Lord. A world redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have blessed us with this Word. Lord, we ask that You would grant us wisdom, the wisdom from above that is peaceable and pure, the wisdom that comes from Your Word. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.